0: The Diplomacy Dojo is a weekly discussion led by your board brother about diplomacy tactics and strategies. Let's listen in on what our players are discussing this week. What uh you have anything on your mind that brings you to the Diplomacy Dojo today, Hunter?
1: Uh yeah, so it's mostly about stuff regarding Germany. Yeah, so I think we talked about how I mean, I agree with you. I think England is a preferred ally for Germany, but it's also like Okay, so for example, like, um, what do you think about a Western Triple? I mean, does that, do you think that, like, which power do you think benefits most from Western Triple? Uh, c- uh, sorry, Central Triple.
0: Oh, Central Triple. So, okay. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. That's a really interesting question. Let's, let's start off talking about Central Triple. Okay. So Central Triple, sometimes called Central Powers Alliance, is an alliance between Germany, Austria, and Italy. And in general, I think that is an extremely strong alliance and a very good one to agree to for each player early in the game. And here's why. The corner powers, which are England, France, Russia, and Turkey, they have a, a an advantage in that... They only can expand in one or two directions, and so they don't have to worry about getting attacked from behind. And this is not true about the Central Powers. And when the Central Powers expand toward each other early on, they are very likely to just get backdoored by some other neighbor. For example, if Germany tries to attack Austria in 1901, the likely what will happen is that both Germany and Austria will just be destroyed. <laughs> Uh, because England and or France and or Russia will just attack Germany while Germany's so out of position. And and so on. Like it's unusual for Austria to attack Germany early. Italy sometimes attacks Austria early. But um I, I think that it's really advantageous for all three powers early in the game <laughs> because if they can at least agree even if they don't agree to support each other's moves and it's just kind of a neutrality pact like hey I don't I don't mess with you you don't mess with me they leave Tyrolia maybe demilitarized perhaps that allows the players to play with one of their flanks unguarded but without um without concern because it's pretty easy for those powers to just move all their pieces out of the center of the board so like it like it's pretty easy if to to set it up and to pull it off Uh, I think it's a great early game agreement. Here are some additional reasons. I think Austria is a very decent uh, partner for, for Germany, and Germany is a decent partner for Austria. They're not each other's best ally, but they're decent allies. Uh, because they can both work together against Russia, and if they support each other's moves against Russia, Russia will go down pretty fast, and those two powers can pretty much partition Russia however they want uh, and go their separate ways. And they don't necessarily need to capture each other's home centers in order to win or at least germany doesn't need to attack austria austria probably needs a german home center so that any tension between them can be left until very late in the game and they can expand away from each other their their ports aren't anywhere near each other and so even though austria and germany are neighbors They have enormous expansion opportunities in directions besides each other and indeed can't expand very deeply into each other's home centers or past each other's home centers in most matches. So they make pretty good allies. I'll say the same thing about Germany and Italy. I consider Germany and Italy to be each other's best ally or close to it. And that's because they can work together against France without a lot of tension and their their expansion paths otherwise usually don't overlap or just barely overlap. So they can coordinate on a lot of things. And then I'll say this, Italy and Austria are not too bad as allies because usually if one attacks the other very early on in the game, and not usually, but, but somewhat often, somewhat often if one attacks the other early in the game, another player is the one who ultimately profits uh, or they don't profit that much because like I said, they're, the, they're those central powers and they have that problem. So not only does each pair of powers have a decent ability to be allies, the triple alliance works well together as a triple. And that gives you a lot of options because it means that even if this triple alliance gets reduced down to just two powers, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to kick one of these other players out, it could realistically be any of the three. For example, Italy and Austria could ditch Germany in favor of, say, England, or Germany and Italy could ditch Austria uh, in favor of maybe Russia or something like that and be, because there's there's a lot of options it could go anywhere there's not there's not a clear there's not a clear loser here every player has something to gain and there's not a, there's not a power that's ultimately just going to get screwed so uh, it looks pretty good i'll give a contrast eastern triple which is russia turkey austria is a very uncommon alliance to see and for one simple reason, which is why would Austria agree to this? Right, Eastern Triple limits out almost all of Austria's growth opportunities and puts Austria in a horribly vulnerable position uh, versus Turkey and Russia. And uh, an Austrian player who agrees to such an alliance often ends up destroyed later in the match. It's not a very it's not it's not an alliance you want to agree to if you're Austria. And so because most Austrian players are incentivized not to agree to it, most Turkish and Russian players don't even bother to try. That's an alliance that's very rare to see and is not very good for Austria. So, I'm I'm favorably contrasting Central Triple, which doesn't inc- I think all three powers have something to gain from this alliance, can reasonably see the game playing out in their favor, uh, even even if the alliance is successful, and indeed it's not out of the question to play that alliance to a solo win. For either of the for any of the three powers, any of the three powers could reasonably expect this alliance to eventually result in a solo win for them. So when you when you consider all that stuff, that it's got it's it's advantageous early and in the middle game, it could lead to a solo win. It's got a lot of strategic options. The central powers have a lot to to risk by attacking each other early. I say that Central Triple is a great alliance for all three powers, and I, I will say that it's probably particularly good for Germany. I'm not going to say that Germany stands out as the best member. There's some pros and cons to Germany. So just just analyzing central triple from the German perspective. So here's some advantages to Germany. One is that Germany has the biggest growth prospects because assuming that Austria and Italy don't intrude too far into the north, Germany can claim, you know, 14 or 15 centers perhaps Maybe not that many. Like, like say Italy gets Marseille and Iberia and Austria gets Moscow and Warsaw. then maybe Germany is only gonna reach up to 12, uh, 12 centers. I'm sorry, no. That analysis is incorrect. Warsaw and Moscow are southern centers. So so Germany would get reduced to just 15 if Germany gave up Iberia and Mercedes Spain, but otherwise be able to control 15 centers in the north. And that's pretty strong. So then Germany only has to get control of Iberia somehow or kick Austria out of Warsaw and Moscow to, to get to the win. That's great. That's a, That's a good deal. It also means that Russia and France are going to be distracted probably pretty early on who are potential threats as Austria is a big threat to Russia early on in the game if Austria has got Italy uh, as a friend. And uh, France is way easier to bring down uh, with Italy on your side than just England because it, it forces France to defend two fronts when Germany and Italy are are fighting France. So there's there's a lot of advantages there. The weaknesses for Germany – are that Italy and Austria are going to claim these borderline centers most likely that Germany wants, that Italy is definitely going to claim Marseille and probably or Iberia, and those are difficult to get centers that Germany probably needs to, to, in order to win. And a lot of the time, Austria, since Austria is expanding entirely east and is not going to be able to capture these Italian centers, is going to put pressure on Germany to cough up Warsaw and Moscow in the partition of Russia in which case Germany really only walks away with like St. Petersburg or Scandinavia or something. And uh, again, Germany is not capturing vital stalemate line centers in order to win. Centers like Paris and Brest or St. Petersburg, those are not vital to win. It's for Germany. It's the Iberian centers. It's, it's worse on Moscow or even further. And so that's, you know, that's a problem. And the, the strategic problem for Germany is that if Germany is also allied to England, it is possible that England will be the preferred ally for Italy and Austria later in the game. Definitely for Austria, England is going to be the preferred ally because Austria may want to expand into Munich and Berlin and can break apart Germany together with England. Italy's preferred ally is usually going to be Germany because England may want to make a claim on Iberia. Sometimes Italy and England can get into hostilities after France has been destroyed over who's going to control Iberia. Uh, but a lot of English players, I mean, a lot of Italian players will still in, decide to go with England if it looks like there's something to be gained from it. So I think that the, that there is a danger in England uh, starting off as a four power alliance, actually, and Germany is the one who gets kicked out later for that reason. If I am agreeing to play a central triple as Germany, I think about how to get in some kind of attacks on England early or maybe a sucker punch kind of backstab on England uh, before Italy and Austria have an opportunity <laughs> to work out a deal with England that kicks me out of the alliance uh, since if England is, is really damaged, then uh, it doesn't look realistic anymore that England could be the third ally for that partnership. And if it goes well, if you play your cards right as Germany... Maybe Italy or Austria will menace or backstab the other just as you were thinking about going for the solo win, and that could be the situation you need uh, for there to be weakness in Iberia or weakness in Warsaw and Moscow for you to clear it out and uh, get the solo win. So how could I deal with
1: this? Maybe I could go after France with Italy early, but then maybe stab England. After France is gone or maybe while well, France is weak before yes. it's done completely?
0: I think that's a, that's a good opportunity,
1: yes. Also, yeah, I mean Italy would probably also be happy to get all of Iberia.
0: There's at least two ways that call to mind for how this scenario can play out where you're Germany and you're working with Italy against France. One is that you also bring England into your orbit and get England's help against France. And when France starts crumbling... That's when you, Germany, backstab England to make sure that you're going to get the lion's share of the of the power after France has gone down. Another way to do it is to um, work with France against England. And as France's units are lured out of position to try to invade Great Britain, that's when you start working together with Italy to attack France. It can be a very tempting target. If Italy hasn't committed against Austria or Turkey, if Italy's just kind of remained neutral – Then uh, and you say, hey, Italy, now's the time, you know, 1903 or 1904. Let's do it. Let's do it. So just as like France is convoying an army into Great Britain, then Germany attacks and Italy attacks and, and France goes down pretty fast and England is not a threat and maybe can be attacked at the same time by Germany because England just got debilitated by what France did. I see. That is definitely my preferred strategy if England doesn't seem very favorable to me early on. Although I say that my preference when I play Germany, England is my preferred ally, I mean, what I mean by that is all things being equal, I would probably go with England over France or Russia. That's just saying all things being equal but a lot of in a lot of matches, the English player has ideas about how to play England that are so contrary to what I will accept as Germany that I know in spring nineteen o one that there's not gonna be any cooperation between us, and I start working with france and and or Russia from the get go to debilitate England to like really like wreck England hard so that way England can't be a threat to me. I'll give an example i I'll say even in the last couple of high level games I played as Germany. That's what I decided to do, actually, even though I say that England's my preferred ally. I worked with France, got France to move against England, then backstabbed France together with Italy, right as uh, France and England uh, right as France was poised to maybe make some conquests in England. And I think that really worked out for me as Germany because having been hostile to England early on and, 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 and have a reason for doing so, which is, hey, you know, look, you weren't willing to negotiate to do the things that I wanted. So I've decided to go with Russia or or France, and then after England's in bad shape, there's not such resentment there, I think, and then I can get like a really weak England to maybe help me out against France when the time comes. I'll, I'll say this, that I think that among press diplomacy players that try to play England, they are, for whatever reason, so tempted to cooperate with France early on, and I think this is quite foolish because uh, all I have to do as Germany when this happens is like mm, England wants to cooperate with France and isn't really interested in helping me is say hey France uh, you got a blank check I'm gonna help you conquer all of B- Great Britain whatever you need you got it you want Belgium you got it conquer Great Britain whatever and the French player is so easily tempted because they can solo win right if they if they if they can conquer Great Britain that puts them uh, that puts them on a on an excellent path towards a solo win and they're usually going to agree to do it. And so almost every match, I would say in my in my recent years of playing where I was playing as Germany and England didn't want to cooperate with me, it was almost trivial for me to get France to attack England, especially after England had committed to the east. And I've done well in those matches by the way. It didn't necessarily go great for France either because I I know to do the work, uh, to, to get Italy, to be able to help me out against France later when I need it. But, uh, I've, just in passing, I think that in press diplomacy, their English players are, are just so trusty of France. And I don't understand this at all. Yeah,
1: I agree. Also, it seems like a lot of times the French player actually is willing to work with them though. And they end up getting stabbed by England later. I mean, I, I think that's bad also, especially in tournament games like, uh, like in tournament games where it's based on the number of centers. I mean, a lot of times France and England ally together.
0: Uh, Say, say more about that if you would.
1: Well, I mean, I I think I talked about this a while ago, like I'll be honest. So one reason I'm talking about this is uh, I'm, I'm starting to participate in new uh, tournament and uh, I, it hasn't started yet. So it's not a, it's not a game happening right now, but I'm going to play Germany. And I feel like, you know, a lot of like in the, in the tournament games, I think, I noticed the big strategy for England, the meta strategy for England is to just go after Germany because that lets them grow quickly. And I mean, I think a lot of French players, they, they just, they're willing to go along with this, even though England usually tabletops from like, like pretty much every, like the only time I saw England top board allying with Germany was in the game I watched on your blog. Like every other one I've seen, they, they went, they went with a English-French alliance and went after Germany. So I'm kind of concerned that that's, you know, the meta strategy for England.
0: I see. So if you're in, in your upcoming game, if you have an expectation that there's likely to be Anglo-French cooperation, then yeah, what you can do is try to I, cultivate.
1: I I really feel like that's the meta game because they they feel like they can trust France, and then and usually and usually they tabletop because you know once England has a lot of centers. It's impossible for France to stab them. They can get in the stab. Do you what i mean?
0: Yes. So if, if that's your expectation, then I say try to cultivate cooperation with Russia right away, early on. Okay. Make sure Russia understands that you're going to let them have Sweden unless, like, barring some kind of wacky situation, it's your intention to let them have Sweden. And say to England, the only way that I'm going to bounce Russia out of Sweden is if you open to English Channel. You don't have to say that as your opening statement, but I, I'm just saying somehow during the, the early conversation conveyed to England, hey, you know, just so you understand as a rule, I never bounce Russia out of Sweden unless England is willing to open to English Channel. So I I I, I hold I don't fault you. I don't hold it against you if you don't want to open English Channel. There's no problem, but I will definitely let, let Russia into Sweden if that is your choice of opening because I just play one too many games uh, where England and France are allied from the get-go and I'm not taking any yeah. chances on that. So, then you're not being a jerk about it, right? You're saying, like, this is how I'm going to play. You have the information, the choice is yours. And uh, I'll, I'll do one further, which is that if England tells you that unequivocally, I'm going to open north, I'm not going to open the English Channel, and uh, you feel really confident that you want to let Russia into Sweden, Russia seems like a good player. You could even try uh, an uncommon opening of opening with Kiel to Holland and just let Russia into Sweden with no intent, with no possibility of bouncing.
1: I see. If England seems hostile,
0: yeah. If you if you've got a if you play the game and you got a bad feeling that tells you, I think just like my metagame expectations tell me, I think England and France are allied. They're both going to open completely, you know, against me. If France is going to support himself into into Burgundy, and England's moving east. And I don't I don't I don't see they don't seem any at all interested in attacking each other. So you can open Kiel to Holland and like uh, Munich. To Ruhr, perhaps, uh, or bounce France and Burgundy, if that looks like a good option. But like, just put the, putting this out there, if, you're, if your fleet's in Holland and your army's in Ruhr, you now threaten I to see. support yourself to Belgium, which means France and England, even if they support each other, might not necessarily get Belgium, and they have a difficult guessing game. You move your army in Berlin to Kiel and then move it up to capture Denmark in the autumn, and now Russia has complete confidence in you— because you've moved your fleet as far away from Russia. You're not making a, a long-term play for Scandinavia. It's not—it's um, awkward. It's very hostile to England to have your fleet in Holland. And it, it's it's awkward because that fleet can't support hold—it uh, can't, it can't fight for Ruhr. And your army in Denmark is not in a great position, honestly. Like, what, what can it really do? You, it's better to have your fleet in Denmark most of the time. But in the short run— that can look like a really tight defensive posture that's going to make fast gains for England very difficult and may cause England to think differently. Or at the very least, if England is hell-bent on attacking you, well, you can defend as much as possible, that's as much as you can defend yourself.
1: I see. I do also agree that later on, I mean, if England does come after me, I, could pr- I think I could probably convince... France to turn on England, because you know I could just point out to
0: them, you know, hey, I mean, do you want to win this game or not yeah and if you, if you're facing if you're as Germany if you're facing an anglo French alliance, usually the player who is most easily turned is France because the temptation can be yeah. pretty big to attack England while the back door is down,
1: yeah, I mean. I think I could just point out to France, you know, if England gets big, it's impossible for, for you to stab them later, whereas England can easily stab you. And, I mean, I mean, it's much harder for Germany to stab you than England, right? Absolutely true.
0: I, I okay, personally, so I, get- I I've pre- very rare. I can't really remember the last time as Germany I opened Kiel to Holland. But if I was really... If I really thought I was facing down an England-France alliance from the get-go, I'd consider that opening. It's, it's playable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to, I mean, I'm willing to work with England, but I, I kind of – for some reason, I mean, in normal games where there's more time, I mean, England seems more willing to ally with Germany. But I guess, I guess the thing is because there's a time limit, you know, so they feel like, oh, i got to attack Germany to get big quickly.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me uh, that English players would, would value that Eastern expansion strategy a lot more in a game with turn limits. Yeah. That's why you got to yeah. I, I also Sweden.
1: noticed that in your game on, the, on, your, on your website, I think, I think your game finished by 1909, right? Um, which game are you referring Where to? Where you were England. My online diplomacy uh, the, the, championship. Yeah, job? the diplomacy championship. Yeah, uh, you, you eliminated Germany uh, after stabbing them. Yes, I remember it well. Set in 1909.
0: That sounds about right.
1: So I guess even with the time limit, you could still get very successful with it. But I guess, but that th- game didn't have a time limit, though. Um, uh, if it did, it was a very big time limit. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, it was. It was like 1925 or something. Yeah. So I guess, I guess it is possible to still be very successful and get a huge number of centers as England, aligning um, with Germany. But I guess a lot of English players don't feel that way.
0: Because I mean, I
1: guess, because like, because I guess, you know, the big games come later after you stab Germany.
0: That's right. You have to be playing for the the long run. And I'll, I I think I know how to explain this. I make a distinction in the psychological profile of players who are playing to win versus players who are playing not to lose. And that's a, that's a funny turn of a phrase because it's a concept that we don't, you know, have like a common vocabulary for, and I'll make, I'll explain what I mean by the distinction between playing to win and playing not to lose. So in order to do really well in some games, not just diplomacy, but many games that are out there, uh, you, to win and win well, you sometimes have to take really big risks that if they don't work out, you could lose spectacularly. And really good players, players who desire to win above all, are willing to take those risks, uh, because they, they're looking at it in an overall way, you know, looking at it in the, in the bigger picture, I'm going to win more often. I I'm going to lose more often, or I'm going to lose quickly more often, but I'm also going to win more often. And so it's, it's worth it. That would be an example. I'll give an example of a game that's not diplomacy, like a tournament, tournament poker, tournament, Texas hold them all in, uh, you know, no limit where players might, um, might do something like raise the stakes really high all of a sudden early on in a way that could get them knocked out of the tournament very quickly, uh, but might give them some advantage that they think they need to win, like a like a certain pot that they want to buy or they're hoping to knock out another player. And so even though such a move of, of going all-in really early on could cause you to be one of the first people eliminated from the tournament, it could also cause you to get a big amount of money early on that you can then use to a big strategic advantage later. Similar thing goes on in diplomacy where there are players who are willing to take major risks that could cause them to lose, but they they think, ah, but you know, it's, it's worth it because if this works out, I'll get this big advantage. Those are players who are playing to win versus someone who's playing not to lose. This person comes into the poker tournament and they are perhaps very reluctant to make big bets. They're unwilling to, to make big raises. They're unwilling to make big calls. They're not willing to, to to raise the stakes. They're not willing to say, oh, I'm just all in really early on. They want to play for a while. And this is a person who may last a long time. They're not going to be the first one out. They're not going to be the second one out. But later on, they've played so conservatively, they may not have a lot of money. And so other players now later in the game have a huge strategic advantage against them and will probably beat them. And so even though they're not the first person eliminated, they've come ve- they've really increased the odds that they will never win that they will be eventually eliminated. And there can be a similar mentality in diplomacy as well, where there are players who just play so conservatively that um, they make it extremely unlikely that they'll be eliminated, true, but they also make it extremely unlikely that they'll ever win. And even, I'm not just talking about solo winning, I'm also talking about board topping in the tournament context. And so in the tournament that I was in, uh, the Online Diplomacy Championship 2019, that scoring system was sum of squares, which is an exponential center count scoring system. And I, I can't remember exactly what I, at the time. It's been it's been it's been some time now uh, since I played that match. Uh, and I'm sure the journal explains all of my thinking. But if I recall correctly, I was playing to get the best possible score I could in that game up to and including a solo win because I wanted to advance to the next round. So I needed to get not just not get eliminated because if I ended the match with, say, 10 supply centers, that might not be enough for me to have a high enough score to qualify for the next round of the tournament. There was a lot of players playing, so I needed to rack up a really big score, maybe a solo win. So allied to Germany, we were able to take out France and Russia early on. But once those players were debilitated or, or eliminated, it was time for me to backstab Germany. I had the position to do so. And what do you know? In the end, I ended up with a massive score, got really close to a solo win because I had conquered almost all my neighbors, France, Germany, and Russia. Almost, you know, not, not quite getting a solo win, but it was close to it. And playing that way required me to take a huge risk early in the game I think I, if I if I if I recall my journal correctly, there's a turn in like 1901 or 1902 where I said, "Okay, I'm betting everything on my ally Germany, and if my ally keeps his word, then this is going to go great. And if he doesn't, then I'm probably toast." And I was willing to take that risk because just a moderate outcome wasn't wasn't worth it to me. And so uh, if I were in a a tournament, even even in that tournament where we're counting centers. I don't just want to get a reasonable score. I want to get. I want to potentially blow everybody else out of the water. I want to be able to win the tournament with a score that I'm getting. And so, uh, an alliance with France, in my opinion, although it's it, it's it's a very um, playing not to lose strategy. Hey, if I can get Scandinavia, then it'll be really. I'll have a good you know good position, and I'll have I'll have knocked out two of my neighbors at once from being able to threaten me, and there'll be very few fleets. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But from there. It can be really hard to actually solo win, uh, in my opinion. But that's my take. You know, not everybody thinks that. Some players have a different philosophy of how to play England. Well, what else you got on your mind, Hunter?
1: I guess. I guess one other thought is. Uh, so I agree that if England is hostile, uh, yeah, working with Russia. Or France is good. But the thing is, sometimes I wonder if, like, Russia and France are both powerful. Doesn't that put Germany in trouble?
0: Yes, it can. Uh, It it can – you can get – Germany can get the squeeze later because France and Russia are both corner powers. It's pretty easy for them to just turn towards Germany and start attacking. So the challenge is to to set up a situation where later you're going to have someone who can help you against one of those powers. So if you come into the mid-game and England's destroyed or nearly destroyed and France and Russia have nothing better to do than take down Germany, they probably will do it. But if France is getting menaced by Italy or Russia is getting menaced by Austria, they may be amenable to negotiations, especially if both situations are true. And so I I have done pretty well uh, in high-level games, in tournament games. working with France and Russia early on as Germany by making sure that I am simultaneously working with Austria and Italy and just waiting for the opportunity to, to help them somehow. So if you get Russia in a situation where Russia has maybe just gotten control of Scandinavia and no more, that's a Russia who's pretty easy to backstab as long as Russia's not oversaturated with units in the north. Or if you've got a France who's taken an English home center but has not successfully conquered Great Britain or has partitioned it with you, germany that maybe you could turn the tables if France is getting menaced uh, from another direction.
1: That's true. Okay, yeah. I mean I guess Italy could likely be – yeah, so a central triple could be helpful for that.
0: Yes, that's right. Uh, Yes, and to that let me add it can be helpful politically. If Russia believes that you're going to continue on to fight France after England goes down – and similarly, if France believes that you're going to turn around and fight Russia after England goes down, if both of those players are somewhat confident that you're a good ally to them and uh, you have rapport, you know, you're, you're sending, exchanging a lot of press and whatnot, then um, it may not, they may not have the energy or the inclination to try to cooperate with each other against you, Germany. They may take it for granted that you're their ally and not try to do that. I see.
1: All right. So if there's a central triple, so even if I'm working with France early, I mean, about when should Italy, like, when should I, I mean, I guess, obviously, since it's a Trump central triple, you know, Italy will be on board with the idea. But if I'm working with France, like early, though, I mean, w- about when should Italy move west? I mean, or when should I encourage Italy to move west?
0: So what, what you want is, first of all, Italy to not be committed to a war in the east. So if Italy okay. makes a Lepanto opening, Italy's probably just at that point committed every single unit to fighting Turkey, more or less. Or okay. if Italy has invaded Austria, that, that's a war that's probably going to continue you know, until Austria bites the dust. What you want is for Italy to be in position to be able to attack France when the time comes, and this may be 1903, let's say, possibly 1904, and then when Italy will be tempted to invade France, to just really, like, oh, send almost almost everything against France if France has committed to attacking England but isn't able to get a build quite yet. So this could be something where France has... Uh, let's say France has six units. Let's just suppose France has Belgium. And France has a fleet in Irish Sea, a fleet in English Channel, and an army convoyed into Wales. And so back home for defense... France has a, I don't know, a fleet in Mid-Atlantic Ocean, an army in Marseille, and an army in Picardy or something like that, and or, or maybe an army in Belgium. And so if you begin y- your attack, let's say then Italy moves into position by moving a fleet in Tyrrhenian Sea to western Mediterranean and a fleet in Ionian to Tyrrhenian and a fleet in Venice to Piedmont, uh-oh, suddenly France can't quite cover everything. France can cover all of Italy's moves, but not also that and the attack you're about to make on Belgium. So then, aha, you know, I, I attack, I, I'm Germany, I'm in North Sea, and I attack Belgium instead of England, like I said I was going to, and move into Burgundy. And if Italy's moves got bounced, but in autumn, I can support those moves or something. And so now France has to make the horrible decision uh, between making peace with England and, like, convoying those units back or disbanding them or whatever, and uh, or just letting or just getting betrayed, you know, just getting just getting destroyed, and so France is going to have to choose to go back and try to defend as as good as possible, but from a very bad position of where the where the fleets and armies are. You want to get them right at the time that they would be about to actually capture English centers, but before they actually make the captures.
1: I see. I mean, will Italy will Italy be in a position to do that though? Because I think often in a central triple, uh, Italy will either go after France, you know, straight away or do a Lepanto
0: it's true uh if if Italy this is in this situation you might not be agreeing to play central triple from the get-go like not from 1901 and say hey we're allies or whatever but rather say I want to keep this line of communication open I I'm ready to attack France when are you going to attack France please keep that option open and sort of play it by ear if you if you make it clear that you Germany are willing to attack France but you're not going to make the first move you know, sometimes the Italian player will wait for the situation to develop, something like that. I see. I mean, honestly, if the Italian player is willing to just go off and attack France right off the bat, that may be the way to go, <laughs> to just do that. Okay. So
1: maybe just take down France with Italy and England then?
0: Yeah, but that, that, this, is, this is assuming that England and France aren't allied. Yeah, that's true.
1: Okay, so yeah, so an alternative is if England is interested, you know, and they open to the channel, for example, and Italy is on board. We could carve up France, and then, and then after France starts getting weak, uh, I stab England. Mm-hmm. Perhaps,
0: do you think maybe I could, I mean, does letting Russia ha- into Scandinavia like, help against England later? or It denies England some resources and creates a threat. If Russia builds, let's say, Russia captures Sweden and Norway and has a second fleet in the north, then um, Russia stands a realistic prospect of attacking England, maybe moving to Norwegian Sea and getting into Edinburgh. And uh, some Russian players will be really tempted by that, that like, you know, maybe this is the game, maybe this is the game where I actually expand in the North, I actually get a, an army in Great Britain or something. In the Media Wars game that I played last year, that is, a, I exactly played that, that relationship with, with Russia, where um, Russia and I worked together, Russia got all of Scandinavia and eventually invaded uh, Great Britain together with me. And I, all, I I didn't come within like, I didn't really come that close to a solo win, but like I could smell it. You know, it was very close. I could smell the solo win. So, so it was a, I was able to play that game all right.
1: I see. So even though you let Russia into Sweden and Norway and even conquered Great, Great Britain with them, you were able to stab Russia later on?
0: Yes, that's right. I was able to stab. It was very close. It was very close. And I, and I had to make some almost perfect guesses, uh, but I was able to do it. To an extent, if I'd have guessed a little bit better, I think I could have done better that match. That 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 the media wars match came down to whether Italy was going to throw to me or not. That's in my opinion what the match came down to. And uh, if Italy had thrown to me, I probably would have done. Probably would have won. If Italy didn't, which Italy didn't, then I then it was just a draw. But it was definitely not out of the question that I could win. Uh, when Russia was so far in the North. Actually, in the online diplomacy championship second uh, round, when I got a game as Germany, I did almost the exact same thing where I worked with Russia early on and got Russia all the way over to Great Britain before Russia was before I backstabbed Russia to go for the win. I think in that match, one of the last uh, Russian centers I took was Liverpool, if I recall correctly. So for me, I would say in my experience, it's a bit of a, might even say a, an M.O., that I have as Germany, as it were, a modus operandi, where I, I work with Russia, get Russia through Scandinavia in order to help fight England so that I can simultaneously fight France and England. I, I think Russia is pretty easy to backstab for Germany if you uh, don't let Russia get into threatening positions. I, I seem to have, have lost your, your audio, Hunter, but that's all right. We're getting pretty close to the end of the time frame anyway, so I'll say... Uh, that this has been a good diplomacy dojo. And if you can hear me, Hunter, uh, thanks for coming. I, I really appreciate it. And I, I, I'm glad you could come. And these were some interesting topics uh, for us to talk about today. This episode was made possible by the generous support of people like you. For more information, visit patreon.com brotherboard. You can learn more from your board brother at brotherboard.com If you enjoyed this episode remember to subscribe, share and review. Thanks to Loyalty Freak Music for the theme music. It feels good to be alive too.